and welcome to Rewire with Duchess Dale. Whether you're a baby boomer or a baby zoomer, a millennial or an elder ally, enjoying retirement or planning ahead, this podcast provides tips and information that turn into inspiration for living your best life. And now, here's our host, Duchess. Welcome to episode number three, Form, Storm, Norm, and Perform. That will make sense later on. It has been quite the full week since our last episode. We had a three-day weekend full of major sports events, the 75th Annual Emmy Awards, and of course, remembrance and honoring of Dr. Martin Luther King. And today, being January 17th, is National Ditch Your Resolutions Day. <laughs> I think that's a perfect day because our return guest today, Sally Robbins, is going to share more on how to find one's purpose. And that will help all of us to reveal those outcomes and intentions we are still seeking for the new year. Something I read in a newsletter this week from John Tesh was an article about the key to being more creative and successful is to stick to a daily routine. I found that a little surprising because when I think about my creativity, often that is so spontaneous that the idea of a routine to be creative seemed oxymoronic. Behavioral scientist and expert Dr. Nick Hobson says that throughout history, Routines have helped some of the most successful people, starting with perhaps my hero, Benjamin Franklin, by the way, whose birthday is today, the 17th, born in 1706, or to best-selling author Stephen King, who is famous to declare that he writes at least 2,000 words a day, even if none of those words ever get published. Magazine Psychology Today has found that routines give us a sense of control over our lives, which can offset the stress we might feel if things get chaotic or unpredictable. The sooner we develop those routines, the better. For example, a study in the Journal of Abnormal Child Psychology states that routines offer a sense of safety and stability that makes kids far less likely to be impulsive, get distracted, or even misbehave. And from personal experience, I can state that that approach is just as effective for your pets as well. Dr. Hobson goes on to say having a routine lightens your mental load because that means you don't have to constantly be burning mental energy trying to make decisions. When should I wake up? What time is lunch? Or what time do I go to the gym? Maybe Dr. Hobson has some Libra in his astrological chart too. And that's why he understands having trouble making basic decisions. <laughs> if you set aside time every day or week to focus on creative pursuits, you won't have to wait for inspiration to strike. You will have it built into your routine. Dr. Hobson says the key is stick to a daily routine. I don't know about you. I have found it an interesting dance between the rituals and routines and schedules of having a typical work life and when one rewires and there is more unstructured time. I have found I need to have a few things that are routine and keep me on track that I have in my daily or weekly schedule, such as going to the gym. However, the difference for me is that now I can work from home, I get to go to the gym any day or time that suits me. What routine or ritual do you continue in 
your rewired life. Why don't you share it with us on our Facebook page, Rewire with Duchess Dale, or you can email it to me directly at yourliferewired, three words, yourliferewired at gmail.com. Reverend Sally Robbins has been a non-denominational minister for over 25 years. Currently, she is living in Indianapolis, Indiana with her husband, Bob. Before she went into the ministry, Sally had a career in television and radio. Now that she is retired from the pulpit, Reverend Sally is a contributing writer to magazines and has rewired to a third career in digital marketing. She is also currently writing a book that she hopes to have published this year. In addition to being a dynamic speaker and a published author, she is a sought-after coach who helps individuals reach their highest potential. Sally was my guest back in December for episode 23, and I am so glad she is joining us again today. I'm very excited to welcome back Reverend Sally Robbins today. About a month ago, that was so last year, about a month ago, Reverend Sally came on and we began a conversation about purpose. We share the fact that we're very passionate about the fact that people need a focus, a sense of purpose in their life. And we never got to cover everything. Reverend Sally said, yes, I'll come back. Welcome back. Thank you. This is a topic I could talk for hours on, so I'm grateful for the opportunity to be back again. Happy New Year. Happy 2024 to you, too. By any chance, did you choose an intention, a focus, an outcome, a word, a phrase for 2024? Yes, I did. Are you willing to share? I guess I should ask that. (laughs) I chose freedom because there are things that I have been psychically glued to, attached Mm. to for decades that I am ready to finally release. And those are bad habits, relationships that do not serve me any longer. I am cleaning house, so to speak. And the freedom that I long for is to be more authentic as Sally. I wanted to start with that because that's how I ended the year for the podcast, talking about looking forward to choosing a word or an intention for the year. And I feel that that is part of a purpose. It gives us some definition towards a purpose, whether it's the big life purpose or if it's the purpose for the next 30 days, that that gives us a direction that we need. Thank you for being willing to share that with all of us. Now that we have a perhaps a word or an intention, an outcome to look forward to, what are some other clues that we can have to how to find our purpose? That is such a rich question, Duchess. I and and I have studied this, you know, for many, many years because I think that it is so critical that we find our way to our purpose. I've studied the lives of other people to determine how they figured that out. I'm going to reference David Brooks' book again, The Second Mountain, which is a great testament to finding your purpose, especially later in life, because he says the first mountain in life is. For those of you that didn't get a chance to listen to the last one, the first mountain is all the things that that you look to have success in life at the beginning of your life. We want the right job. We want the right house, the right marriage mate, et cetera. Most people, when they accumulate those things, find themselves saying, well, 
Is that all there is? And so he talks about how to have a very fulfilling life, you need to climb the second mountain. And that second mountain is finding your purpose in life. In the book, he talks about finding what are the clues to finding our purpose. One of the stories that I loved is he talks about Edward Osborne Wilson, who is the famed naturalist and biologist. When Wilson was seven, his parents divorced. And it was a very critical time in his life because they sent him to live with another family in Northern Florida. Here he was alone by himself. He did not really know this family. After he'd have his breakfast, he would leave the breakfast table and walk the beaches that were close by. He found all these wonderful animals out there. He found the fish and one day he was sitting on the pier and a stingray glided underneath his feet. He was just awestruck with the awesome nature that was around him. He spent every hour outside and he learned to really love nature. That, of course, later led to him becoming an entomologist, studying insects. Ants Mm -hmm. was his thing. So (laughs) when we look back into our childhood, we can usually find there were moments where we we were just like in the groove, in that, that whole flow of life when we felt really strongly that this is what we are meant to do. Unfortunately, most of us were socialized that we read that out of us, well, that I should go be a computer person. I should go be a financial person. Brooks recommends that you go back and think, what what was it that really turned me on when I was in my childhood? I'll give you an example in my life. My family never went to church. They were not religious folks. My parents were not religious folks. They had both been raised in churches, but did not go as adults. But I had this really strong desire to go to church. (laughs) And I didn't really care what church it was. I just wanted to be in the spiritual realm and exploring spiritual ideas. I would read books I would get from the library. I started asking my neighbors, hey, can I go to church with you? One week I would go to the Methodist church. Another week I would go to the Baptist church. It didn't matter. I just wanted to be a part of a spiritual community. That was a real clue for me that I later would become a minister, that I had a calling to serve in that capacity. I, I love the, the quote that Nietzsche uh, writes that, that uh, Brooks references in his book, and I'm going to um, quote this. Uh, he says, let the young soul survey its own life with a view to the following question. What have you truly loved thus far? What has ever uplifted your soul? What has dominated and delighted at the same time? Assemble these revered objects in a row before you, and perhaps they will reveal a law by their very nature and their order, the fundamental law of your very self, close quote. These enunciation moments that Brooks talks about where we get these, you know, the clouds part and the the harps start playing, they come to everyone. But our job is to recognize them and then to put them back together like, oh, that's what I'm called to do. It reminds me of a story. You'll love this. I'll just say it briefly. When I was at San Diego and we had Ray Bradbury as a guest at the Pacific Church of Religious Science, I got the pleasure to facilitate the event and to interview him and to get to know him. And one of the questions that someone in the audience asked was, how do you get your inspiration? Or if you have writer's block, something like that. 
I don't really remember the question as much as his answer was almost to echo that. He said, okay, go back to what you loved as a child. What were you passionate about? Doesn't matter what it was. Go back to that. Re-engage on that. Let that guide you where you need to be, whether it's writing or maybe following a different avocation. It's, I think that may be one of those things that confirmed for me how valuable passion is and purpose in one's life. And what I heard in your story was, for me, maybe there's been a difference in my life, at least, that purpose with a small p and purpose that you're referencing from David Brooks is with a capital P. What is our bigger purpose in life, even though we may have had the purpose of finishing high school, graduating, getting married, getting the job, la, la, la. Those were part of a purpose, a plan. And yet, as you say, what is it that we have a passion about and how to reveal that bigger purpose? Absolutely. I think you just hit the nail on the head earlier. You said the avocation. We come out of the gate thinking, I got to find the vocation. Many times it's not the vocation, it's the avocation. It's that which calls to us beyond our normal 40 hour work week. Mm -hmm. And that could be anything from your spiritual side, your hobbies. Sometimes the two can meet, but many times it doesn't. When we're older in life and we've done the vocation, Maybe it's time to do the avocation. Maybe it's time to really sink into what is it? And and that's the key, Duchess. I don't think we do enough inner searching, inner, inner reflection of what it is that really makes us happy. Most of us spend more time on planning our one week vacation than we do to our life. Mm. I'm encouraging those who are listening Spend some quality time and sit down and just think, what is it that makes me happy? What are the clues that have been along the life's journey that I've had that have, when I felt the most fulfilled, that's the capital P that I'm talking about. That's where you have the passion that meets purpose. And that's the real crossroads that lights us up. That's exactly it. You're lighting me up. And I know our listeners don't get to see our faces that are engaged and animated. And we're lit up because of how we feel about this. And I thought it is about the fulfillment. You mentioned when we get older to take time to do this, since this podcast is aimed for older adults, I'm sure you've come across some older adults who maybe they've retired, maybe they haven't, but they think, oh, well, my ship has sailed. I'm too old. What's the point? Do you have anything that you would like to share about how do we get ourselves back on track? It's never too late. Carlin Sanders started Kentucky Fried Chicken in his 60s. Georgia O'Keeffe started painting in her 60s or somewhere along in there. We have this idea that successful people start young, but the, the chance is that there's quite a few out there that started doing something completely different and created a, a masterpiece in their later years. And Norman Lear just passed away at 101. Right. He, and I saw a documentary where he was in his late nineties. He was still driving himself to work every day. He <laughs> would get up, He'd have his breakfast, he'd drive to work and work on his next sitcom or whatever entertainment thing he was working on. 
that lit him up. And he was determined that he was still going to make a difference in his later years. My thoughts to anyone who thinks that life has passed them by is, let that go. You have so much to give, especially with the wealth of knowledge and experience that you have now in this later life. I wouldn't go back to my 20s for all the tea in China. My 60s are my best years. I mean that sincerely. It's never too late. I'm glad to hear you say that. I think the more that we can encourage people about that, first of all, giving them permission, we've just given them permission. I believe, as I'm sure you do, that once they start to tap into that, if they follow these examples that we're talking about and do the inner work and ask what does turn them on, what is something from their childhood or even currently that that makes them feel whole and they are uplifted and they just get so engaged in that it doesn't mean it has to be a career doesn't mean it has to be a paying job if we start to get in touch with what is it about our purpose then I don't think we think about age it really disappears time disappears you've been in that space where you are so involved in something that nothing matters. Those are some of the best times of my life when all of a sudden I look up and it's dark outside because I've been so involved in what I've been doing. If I've been writing or or whatever, I feel like that's the moments when we're truly in touch with that innermost part of ourselves that wants to express when we are absolutely in alignment with what we're here to do. And usually 99% of the time is to serve in some greater capacity where we are aligning ourselves with something that is far greater than even us. I think in a way, as you referenced, now that we're older, sometimes that older and wiser, we do have a, a wealth and breadth of experience to offer. When you were talking about service, Perhaps when in anyone was younger and they were working or the, or it was a mom raising a family, there might not have been the time. Perhaps now as someone who is retired or older and has the ability to be of service, to mentor someone, to volunteer, to find a level or an expression of service that again matches one's interests, passion and capital P purpose. Yes, absolutely. Someone will say to me, what should I do when I find my purpose? How do I really dig in and reap the benefits of finding that purpose? I always advise them, find a mentor, you know, find someone who maybe they're not even older than you. A mentor can be younger, but they've been in that field for a long time and they know what's happening with that. Find someone that you can glean information from. It's wonderful to read books and to study maybe a certain avocation. But I have found that mentors can give you the nuances of what's really happening and can save you years, years of trial and tribulation. I remember I went into ministry and I was 40 when I became a minister. I'd already served in the corporate world for 20 years and had done very well, but I was just determined to become a minister. It took me seven years to do all the training. When I was 40 years old, I thought, okay, this is great. And of course, when you first start out in something, you find out that you don't even know what you don't know. I was running into challenges right and left. And I remember calling 
a fellow minister because at first I had this idea that I could figure it all out by myself. Even at 40, I was still very naive about that. And I called this other minister who was older and certainly wiser, had been around the block. I told her the challenges I was going through. And she said to me something that totally changed how I looked at things. She said that she had had the same thing in her early years as a minister. And that she had somehow come across that concept of form, storm, norm, perform. And it's very popular in the corporate world, but basically you're forming an idea or forming a a community is what we are trying to do, forming a spiritual community. Then there's what they call the storm process, the storming, where things start getting tumbled up and there's chaos. And then there's a norm when things start leveling out and then perform, then the community can come together and really perform. This form, storm, norm, perform happens in every culture, in every community, in every organization, every job, she pointed this out and she said, as soon as I figured that out, I realized, oh, I'm just in the storm phase. And she said, I weathered the storms because I knew that it was simply part of this process. That concept changed how I looked at everything in my work. I found that a great mentor really helps you understand the challenges that come with purpose because Just because you found your purpose doesn't mean it's going to be rainbows and roses. You are going to find that there are days when I don't know what's going on, or this is just really hard. And that's okay. You have to find a way to get through those as well. And a mentor is a great way to do that. I had never heard that. Form, storm, norm, perform. (laughs) Google it. There's plenty of stuff out there about it. I think it's something that, as you were alluding to, when any of us find a new purpose or a new avocation, to have that in mind so that we don't throw in the towel too soon. Are you familiar with the the organization called SCORE? It's retired people who mostly help with corporate kind of things, business things. I'm wondering, we should create a worldwide mentor program, not just for accountants or corporate people or ministers, but have some sort of database where we could align people up with a mentor because somebody's trying a new avocation or a new career. I'll set that out into the world for the hundredth monkey that will pick that up and run with it. Now that we are engaged, inspired, and we have permission to reveal our purpose, tell me what does living your life on purpose look like, feel like, show up as? The best example that that I have of what it looks like is a woman by the name of Peace Pilgrim, and she's one of my heroes. To give you some background on her, if you've never heard of her, she was born in 1908. Her her birth name was Mildred Norman. She lived in New Jersey, led a pretty normal life, went to college, was a flapper girl, and settled down as a secretary in business and was doing very well. But something wasn't connecting for her. So at 30 years old, she had a personal awakening after walking all night one night in the woods. She just was walking. She was trying to figure things out. And she had this aha moment of, oh my goodness, I I need to have a life of service. She began a 15-year preparation for the next 15 years of her life. She did things like 
working for peace organizations because that really called to her. She started selling things and getting rid of things. She had been married, but decided that that marriage really wasn't uh, where she needed to be. They divorced and she hiked regularly. She loved to walk. And so in 1952, as she's walking the Appalachian Trail, she had another aha moment. She had a vision of her future. And the two words that came to her were peace pilgrim. She adopted that name. And that's who she became. She, she was no longer Mildred. And now she will only answer to Peace Pilgrim. She created a uniform that, that she would wear. She had a blue tunic that had pockets that carried just a couple of possessions. She carried a pen, some paper so she could write letters, uh-huh. and a comb to comb her hair. Oh. Wore tennis shoes and some slacks. And that was it. On January 1st, 1953, she began her first cross-country pilgrimage. She walked from California all the way across over to the the East Coast, and she would only sleep where either on the side of the road or if someone offered her a bed for the night in their home, she would gratefully accept. She did not eat unless she was offered food. And it was really walking on faith is what she was doing. Everywhere she went, she talked about peace, which back in the 50s was the Cold War. And so this was a very relevant topic. Fast forward to 1976. I'm an 18-year-old college student working in my first job in television because that was my uh, degree in college. I'm working my way through college by working at the TV station. And I was told by the reporter that I worked with that she would be interviewing someone named Peace Pilgrim. And I remember thinking to myself, Peace Pilgrim, what an odd name. (laughs) In walks this woman into the studio because this just happened to be where she was walking. She was very good about getting press. She would notify the press when she got into (laughs) town. She was very good about getting press for her travels. She walked in the room and this woman was luminous. This woman was just lit up from within. She spoke softly and she talked about her objectives of spreading peace wherever she went and teaching people to be peaceful I was mesmerized by this woman, and I didn't know the significance of meeting her at that age, but that was was the best example that I'd had, and probably to this day, of a person who has found their purpose Mm. and how they embodied it, how they walked it and carried it. She was an incredible woman. I had, of course, heard about her and read about her, but had not been privileged to get some more of the historical side, nor a firsthand confirmation of what this woman had chosen to do. The other thing that I'm hearing about that, yes, there is that wonderful idea of walking for peace. She clearly didn't care about what the world thought on the outside, whether she that people thought it was wonderful or noble, or if they thought she was uh, cuckoo. She did what she was being called to do. And I have to respect that at any age, no matter how old she was then, or if someone is doing that now. Yeah, think think about that. She was 45, 46 or so when she started. She was not a spring chicken. And until she died in 1981, she was out there walking every single day. She walked in every state. She walked across Canada. I, I mean, it, she really lived what she taught because 
people would say to her, oh, don't go into that section of town because that's not the good section. She would walk feeling no fear and just knowing that she was going to be safely provided for. And she was every single time. If you go into uh, peacepilgrim.org is the website, there's a group of very dedicated volunteers who try to continue her work. And you can actually get a copy of her book. Um, you can download it uh, from there. It's just fascinating because then you you read about her in her own words, that the stories that she had to tell. This is someone who had no possessions, gave away everything, and lived very, very, very simply. That can be an inspiration to our listeners to finding what's calling them for their purpose with something like the internet that you can research. We forget that you don't have to travel the world. If there's someone listening to this that maybe is unable physically to do something like that, that we have the world at our fingertips and that there's no limit to what no. we, we can accomplish once we get in touch, as you have said, with what it is that calls to us. And it sounds as if it has that quality that you talked about. I still remember from our first interview when you said, it's when I'm doing something that I love so much that I forget to eat. <laughs> that still makes me laugh because that's true. You don't notice it's dark out. You don't realize you haven't eaten since breakfast and yet you feel completely fulfilled. I think that's when we know that's another clue to the fact that we're on track with our greater purpose, no matter how old we are. <laughs> it's what brings us alive, makes us alive, because we are totally tuned in to what we are here to do. And, and our talents and our gifts are colliding with a greater sense of serving the public I don't think there's anything more that we should aspire to do. That's the highest aspiration all of us should have is how can I best serve this world? It doesn't have to be big. Like you said, it can be, it could be growing a garden in your backyard. It could mm. be doing something that just serves your small circle of people that you are with. That's making a huge difference. And I have to say, the world needs your gifts to all of you who are listening. The world needs your gifts, whatever they may be. I have wonderful gifts, so does Duchess, but you have different gifts that only you have. The best way to express them and to serve is to just get out there and be that which you are here to be. Get out there, do it. <laughs> the world needs you. I love that. I think that maybe by finding a mentor or reaching out to someone in your family or community, your neighborhood, a senior center, getting to talk about it the way you and I are will help to inspire and maybe reveal what it is, some more clues so that again, you can go and give your gift. Even if it means you're sitting in front of your computer, giving your gift, whatever that gift is, or you're baking cookies for a neighbor. We do know that that is an essential part of the livingness of who we each are and that there is that gift within us to share in some capacity. And that, as you said, it's it's never too late. And I'm saying you're never too old to you. You have the form, storm, norm, perform, reform and rewire. Yes, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> 
Reverend Sally Robbins, I want to thank you once again for joining us and, and inspiring us and getting us all charged up with this idea. I'm looking forward to you coming back and we'll maybe, maybe have another topic. I love this one. You do too. I so appreciate that. I am grateful that you have freedom on your horizon for this new year. Thank you again. You're so very welcome. Thank you for having me. I hope everyone makes 2024 their best year ever. And so it is. And so it is. <laughs> Thanks again, Sally. I think now I am ready for the norm and about to perform, which is precisely what our New Mexico State Legislature is doing because they have begun their 30-day session this week. Concurrently, our governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham, gave a rousing speech proposing several initiatives and important updates to share as well. I was particularly impressed with how she handled a few of the interruptions from crowd protesters with a reminder, quote, it takes courage for a young person to speak up, whether it's in the right place or not. This is a state and this is a country that protects its people that don't share your exact opinion. End quote. What she said gently echoes a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. from a TV interview he had with Mike Wallace back in 1966, where Dr. King said, quote, I think that we've got to see that a riot is the language of the unheard, end quote. That is deep wisdom for us all about the power of listening and how important it is, whether it's with one another or with groups, a community, a state, etc. We need to improve our listening skills. And our aging and long-term services department has been listening to you, seniors of New Mexico, because we are offering a very special event next week. Wednesday, January 24th from 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. at the Capitol in the Roundhouse in Santa Fe, New Mexico will be the Aging Well in New Mexico Day. Da -da 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 -da. Yay! I'm excited about this event because, yes, I want to age well and better, but I also get to attend and meet many of you in person so we can talk about the podcast. The exciting part is it is also the soft launch of the Blue Zones Health Initiative that we started talking about in last week's episode. This initiative is sponsored by the work from author Dan Butner. He's the one who is researching and documenting aging and longevity in certain areas around the world. He is helping to identify those areas with the highest concentration of people living well into their 100s. New Mexico is not yet a blue zone as a result of the 2020 census. However, there are 410 centenarians in New Mexico, which is an increase of 44% from the year of 2010. It's going to be a great event. And if you want to hear more about this event or register, how about calling Aging and Long-Term Services at one 800 432 2080 or check their website about registering aging.nm.gov get more info register because i believe they are providing a free lunch <laughs> and tomorrow january 18th is the Soros day so i felt that was a definite call for a doo -doo 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 daily word let's make the word 
Thesaurus. No, that is not something from Jurassic Park. Thesaurus is actually a reference work, whether you access it online or in a book, that lists the synonyms and antonyms of words. Now remember, synonyms are words that have similar meanings, and antonyms are ones that have opposite meanings. Dr. Peter Marc Roger was a British doctor and a mathematician, and he was the one that published the first thesaurus in 1852. So maybe this will inspire you to think about your favorite synonym for refresh, rejuvenate, and rewire. Our show is sponsored by the Aging and Long-Term Services Department of New Mexico. You can contact that department by calling one 800 432-2080 or online at www.aging.nm.gov. Our original music is written by New Mexico's own Lydia Clark. Join us next week on your favorite streaming platform. Till then, remember to reconnect, recommit, and rewire. Inspiration, you've got.